Don't forget to check out another podcast of ours called Escaping 1980, where we explore the causes, impacts, and lasting effects of one of the most infamous events in American agricultural history, the 1980s farm crisis. You'll find Escaping 1980 wherever you listen to podcasts. welcome thank you for joining me today i'm flying solo today my partner in crime brent is busy in the field and so that's great for this time of the year so happy to talk to you today about the latest things that we've been thinking about and writing about it's friday june the 18th so this month is moving by quickly but we wanted to update you on a few new articles we had put together. So I'm going to share my screen here for those of you who are watching on YouTube, those of us who are listening on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'll talk through just a couple of ideas. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is go update your forecast network questions about the acreage report. That's coming up at the end of the month. We're going to start to see a lot of private estimates. And as a reminder, for most of us, unless we're out there collecting primary data, we're surveying growers, or we're out there using some sort of satellite imagery to predict or forecast what acreage are going to be at, these point estimates might not be the best way for us to challenge our thinking. Now, this is something that Brent and I try to remind ourselves of, is it's important for us to think about these probabilistically so we can share our uncertainty. So we have a question about corn acres being over 91 million, question about soybean acres being over 91 million. Those were open way back in January and February. We also have a question that's pretty new about corn and soybean acres combined being over 181 million acres. And I have to tell you, this is one that I've changed my forecast on quite a bit. There's a lot of moving pieces here. My forecast is up to 71%. I had been closer to 40%, but the consensus here for quite a while has been bouncing around 70, 75%. And so we can see that in general, there's an expectation that combined acres of corn and soybeans are going to be up from that March perspective planting report. So this is an example. The benchmark says it's about a 2.3 million acre increase, which we've wrote articles to talk about how big the changes have been in the past. But this is a way for you to say, okay, 181 million combined acres, what's my forecasted probability and how has that changed over time? And I've changed mine quite a bit. Why, you might ask? Well, I think preventive planting is going to come in below expectations. Now, preventive planting isn't something they capture in this June acreage report. They're only surveying, what did you plant? But I think we'll start to see the impacts of preventive planting in these estimates. Of course, preventive planting data doesn't come out until much later from the FSA offices. But I've been watching this pretty good planting conditions. A lot of planting went in. Probably some acres that hadn't been planted in the last few years are going to get planted. So this is my expectation. Get in there and update your forecast. Also wanted to chat with you about a couple new articles we'd written. One of those is about something called the Section 179 spiral. It's really the accelerated depreciation spiral. So take some time to read this. It's something that Brent and I have been thinking a lot about. And the reason why we're talking about it now is that in light of the strong profitability that we've seen in agriculture here in the end of 2020 into 2021, it seems likely that capital expenditures are going to increase. And that's a reasonable thing to do. One of the temptations here is to use Section 179 or other forms of accelerated depreciation to minimize that tax liability. And when you use accelerated depreciation 
in Section 179 with debt, a lot of attractive financial offers out there, you can set yourself up with some, some challenges down the road. So there's a, a pretty basic example of a scenario here where you know you have projected income of, let's say, $100,000. You buy $100,000 worth of capital equipment, and maybe a tractor or a baler or a, an upgraded your sprayer or something. And that works your taxable income to zero because you use all the accelerated depreciation or the section 179. And then you finance that for three years at 0% interest and you have zero principal payment. So that kind of generates a cash flow windfall. Now you go into year two, you have the same income, you make the same level of purchases, you use the accelerated depreciation or section 179 again, your taxable income is again back to zero, but now you have principal payments from last year's purchases that you have to make. And if you do this for several years, in this example, we built it out to four years. If you continue on this section 179 or accelerated depreciation treadmill, this accelerating treadmill here, you eventually get to a scenario where you need $100,000 in principal payments and you have $100,000 in projected income. And so you need to recognize all of that income, have to pay a tax liability on that. So you sort of have this gap where Projected income is 100,000, there's a tax liability, but you also need $100,000 in principal payments. And so the idea here is just to step back and think about what happens in the future if I use accelerated depreciation or section 179 today? And what happens in the future based on my financial payments, the debt structure that I choose? Ideally, we would line those up. And so your future payments for your debt would be offset by equal or matching depreciation expense that you're, you're going to be able to pull out. Of course, that never works out perfectly. But the idea here is given the fixed nature of these expenses and these obligations, we can look out in the future and sort of start to plan. And the idea here is in line of 2021, the temptation might be to work our net income down as low as possible, but we have to be careful what we do with the financing. We want to make sure we don't get ourselves into a bind in the future. A bit of an example we wrote about here is what happens if that future income got impacted by bad weather or low commodity prices? You can see a scenario where there could have been some challenges. So again, the main takeaway here is think about how you're using accelerated depreciation or 179 and how that lines up with your financing. You don't want to get into a situation down the road where you're kind of behind the eight ball. Also, we took a look at farm loan delinquencies in a recent article. Very interesting to see how delinquency rates have fallen. I have to say, this is one that I was concerned about a year ago. Why was I concerned a year ago? Well, farm economy had been struggling for several years. The farm loan delinquency rates had been trending up pretty continuous since 2014. Of course, 2014 was historic lows, and we saw things starting to approach the long run average. So the farm economy had kind of been in a tough spot. We had low commodity prices last summer. And then the off-farm sector of the farm economy might have had some struggles in light of the recession that was going on. And the last time we saw farm delinquencies really spike was in the recession back in 09. So we were concerned about this two-hit possibility, a sluggish farm economy and a sluggish off-farm economy. And the reality is for a lot of folks in agriculture, they rely on off-farm income to meet all of their obligations. And so we were watching this, but in light of everything that's happened, the rebound in commodity prices, all the stimulus that's been going on across the economy, we saw delinquency rates turn lower. The first big adjustment lower really since 2014 when we hit those lows. So we looked at real estate and non-real estate trends. You can take a look at that and read more. Also wanted to point out something Brent and I will update on next week or the week after is sort of what's going on the macroeconomy. I'm showing the chart here of all delinquencies in the US economy for home mortgages. And you can see that we were below 2% or around 2%, below 2.5% 2 
before the 08, 09, 2010 recession. And then we got really high, above 10%. And we stayed above 10% through 2010, all the way through 2013. Now we got back to 2.5% before the recession here in 2020. It's ticked slightly higher, but nowhere near where we saw as that big, big upturn that we saw last time around. Also thinking about that acreage report coming out at the end of June, it's really going to be important for us to understand how big the U.S. ag factory for corn and soybeans is going to be sized at. And then we can really start thinking about the yield question. Of course, I won't show the data today, but you should go update your yield expectations for the Ag Forecast Network. It's interesting, given all the chatter that we've seen on social media, in general, the Forecast Network expectations, the probability of above or below trend yields has not changed all that significantly. So I find that interesting. I think this is one of our goals here is to help provide some insulation from all the chatter out there. So as you're thinking about weather impacts, have there been enough information? Have there been widespread enough impacts? Or are we far enough in the growing season for me to adjust what I think is likely or probable for the U.S. yield expectations? Finally, want to share a story from our ideas at make us better. We talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago, but I thought of a great example of this. It's the limits of exponential growth. And so we are at that time of the year that's really exciting. A couple of weeks ago, I was driving around in, in Indiana and the corn was you know below the knee. And then all of a sudden I was looking the other day and it's waist high. It reminded me of the limits of exponential growth. So if you just went out every day and plotted how tall your corn was, and you wrote all this down into a spreadsheet or on a piece of paper. And this is the time of the year that if you found an economist or a statistician, probably an economist would be the one who would fall for this the quickest. And you just gave them this data. I said, day one, my corn was zero inches tall. Day two, it was, and you filled out the last you know, 60 or 70 days of corn growth. This is where corn is in this exponential growth, right? We're growing at a really fast rate and its growth is on top of each other. This is when an economist would, of course, make the prediction that by July or August or September, that data, if it played out over into the future, not knowing it was a corn plant, would be something really, really tall, really astronomically tall. But it's the limits of exponential growth that we sometimes overlook. And so at some point, and every four weeks, the corn plant, will, of course, will shift gears and step away from the growth side and start thinking about the reproduction side. And so we'll start to see the limits of exponential growth, not only the limits from the plant reaching or approaching maturity, but also the competition of resources. And so water being a limiting factor, but also nutrition and how close the neighbors are. And so these corn plants can't keep growing at the rate that they started to grow at. They can't continue that growth rate in perpetuity. And so that's, of course, the limits of exponential growth. So again, update your forecast. Think about the acreage, where you think those acreage estimates are. Have you changed your expectations about the yield forecast related questions in light of all the weather chatter? We see the markets moving a lot. How much have you changed your forecast? Of course, read our latest content. So thanks again for joining me this week. We'll catch you all again next week. In the meantime, send us an email with any questions or ideas that you have, and also stay curious. 